as a newbie or as as an agency understanding the story that the brand is trying to tell that you're working for is massively important right for example if you were working for adidas or, or nike or or something and you were like you guys don't rank for cheap shoes how out of touch is that like that's an extreme example but those kind of things happen all the time there are avenues that you don't chase down as a brand or as a company because they don't line up with the story that you're telling. And as an agency partnering or a consultant or a freelancer, understanding that story before you give your recommendations, before you create your strategy is critical. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung. And in this episode, number 21, I have the amazing Amanda King dialing in from a very nearby suburb of mine, Darlinghurst. Now, Amanda is an ex-colleague of mine from uh, in-house, and she was good enough to give me onboarding <laughs> as I uh, moved from agency to this new whole world of uh, a triaging dumpster fires. That's probably the best way to describe it. So, Amanda, thank you very much. End sarcasm tags. <laughs> but uh, hey. No, no, no. Actually, do. I, I have to thank you, formally thank you, for uh, probably internally referring me for this role that I'm working at now. But uh, it's not about me, it's about you. So why don't you introduce to our lovely listeners who you are and a bit about your background and where you're at right now? Sure. So I am Amanda. It always makes me feel old when I say I've been doing SEO and digital marketing since 2010. But it's, it's the sad and amazing truth that I have been in the industry that long. Um, at the moment, as, as Daniel mentioned, I was in-house for three years. I've been going through agency startup in-house and now I am a consultant. Uh, so I, I will come in, tell you the problems that you already know about and help you fix them, essentially, is, is my job. Uh, I will be your advocate to your, your higher-ups because I'm only temporary. I don't care. I don't care what my uh, what my reputation with them is. So I can say all the things that you don't you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, let, let's put this into context, right? And and I want to explore what the term consultant means because in an early episode, I spoke with Christine Azarenko, and mm -hmm. there is a there is a nuance in semantics and in roles and responsibilities as you move from a freelancer that anyone can hire and you do all the mm -hmm. things to moving into what the name suggests as a consultant, you consult. Where do you draw the line between fixing things and actually applying your brain and insights to these are problems, these are important things, but I can't help you get them done, but here are people who can. Yeah, so look, I... While I have a background in UX, I have a background in data, I have a background in analytics, I can sit down and do a customer journey, can do all of that. For me, uh, that is not my, my specialty, right? So I can advise, I can include it in my strategy and just be like, hey, this is, this is important. And generally, for me, the way that I approach it is if as a consultant, you want me to 
sit down and update all of your meta titles. I can, but is that necessarily the right use of my time and my brain? So the way that I tend to approach consultancies is I want to teach you how to fish. I essentially, to a certain extent, want to make myself redundant. Uh, I want to be the person that you get in touch with when you've got a sticky problem and you're like, hey, our team can't figure this out. Help us figure this out and get it solved and get it in front of the developers and get it explained in a way that we actually get buy-in. So with consulting, there is a lot more stakeholder management and a lot more soft scaling in there in terms of how to communicate SEO in a way that makes sense to everyone. And honestly, I don't know how successful I would be as a consultant if I didn't do in-house first. If I went straight from agency to consulting, it would my definition of consulting and my level of success would look very different. I'm nodding my head in agreement <laughs> because you know, you can you as a freelancer or working agency, you can come across a very wide gamut of problems. Relatively easy to fix on an SME's website. But what I realize moving into an enterprise environment is oh, there's front end, there's producers, like there's many different names. Like in agency, we just call them developers. Mm. But there's so many roles that need to have touch points that when we're providing recommendations, they're not even going to the right person. It's in the wrong language and in there's no priority. Fix all the things, right? Yeah. And and I think uh, when I was a when I was a baby agency um, newbie as well, I think one thing that I was always frustrated by and didn't really have context for was one of my clients was a super client, right? And I was pulling my hair out with them because it took them three months to make a change to a single page. And I didn't understand the level of nuance behind the fact that my point of contact didn't own that page because it was a different product. So they had to have that conversation with that product owner. And then they had to probably take the concept through that go to market through legal, that there's a whole level of processes behind that. So I think from, from an agency perspective, the earlier in a, an engagement that you can learn basically the approval process that things have to go through and at what point budgets will start raising eyebrows uh, really will, will help get your foot in the door and, Basically, anything that you can do to make your point of contact's life easier will will make your engagement so much better. That was a really, really good point. Actually, yeah. a series of good points. The, <laughs> win, the one that raised my eyebrows was when you mentioned budgets that would raise someone else's eyebrows. Could you elaborate what that means? So, for example, at certain... Uh, so at our current place of, or at your current place of employment, at my former place of employment, um, when you get over a certain budget request, let's say $100,000, if you're requesting $100,000, 
you have to go through an entirely different process to get that budget approved. So rather than just having a chat with your wider team finance manager, you have to go in front of a board, you have to have a justification, you have to basically say, not only this is why I want the money, but this is the business impact. And not just this is the business impact, but this is the revenue that this is going to bring in. So there's there's a whole different level of nuance and consideration that's required. So if if you know what those limits are and you're an agency and you can say, okay, we know your like big budget limit is let's say $50,000. Can we do this for 49? Can we do this for 40? Like, can we, can we just like squeak in under um, that limit so that we don't have to take this through a budget process that could potentially take six months? Or can we, can we take this through rather than at your kind of end of financial, your budget setting? Is there another time that we can take this through? So, and that was, that was one thing as well that I never quite understood or grasped agency side either is your client may not have the budget to do it and saying, Oh, can you ask for it? It's not that simple. Right. So you could, you could ask for, 10 grand in May and be completely declined because it's out of your cycle. But if you ask for it in June, which is say your financial cycle, and when you're presenting all of your budgets, doesn't bat an eyebrow because someone just asked for a million dollars. So there's, there's that whole context as well that I didn't appreciate when I was starting agency side. Yeah. And, and depending on what type of agency and, and that business model and the hierarchy, like even reflecting on my experience, I, I never got to see those numbers. Mm. And, and that's very hard to be able to help your stakeholder understand where things are at if you're not given that visibility. And that's kind of just agency life. Yeah. So it, it, it's, <laughs> it's challenging. And depending on your personality, for me, you know, by the time I started SEO, I was in my 30s, so I, I didn't give a shit. Like I had nothing mm. to prove. I had made enough mistakes in my previous career as a business owner that I was very comfortable having very uncomfortable conversations. It was I knew what the end goal was. It was A, Mm -hmm. to make myself look good, B, achieve goals, and C, hopefully achieve goals for the client. But, you know, if you're new to agency, if you're new to the role, or if you're, you know, let's be frank, I'm a male, so therefore I have a lot of privilege. Uh, And, you know, I was at that life stage where I had no fucks given. But if you're anything but that, if you're from a minority group, if you're a female or identify as female, that it's a whole different paradigm and that sucks. So that's why I'm, I love to explore how you've overcome those very apparent social barriers that l- put essentially a soft and hard ceiling on what you can ask for, even though they're the right things. Yeah, look, I, I'm i similar to you, right? Part of the reason that I have come into consulting when I have is because I am very comfortably at a point where I give no fucks. And if someone is like, oh, you're, you're too expensive. I can't work with you right now. I'm like, okay, talk to me again in a year. Like, I'm not 
I'm not willing to make compromises because someone may not necessarily see the value in it. Or if I make compromises, it'll be, okay, your budget is smaller. Therefore, what I'm delivering to you is smaller in this way. And this is how it'll affect the end product. And so, plus, I I tend to disarm with a combination of smiles and very obvious sarcasm. Like self-deprecating sarcasm? <laughs> you could call it that. <laughs> but and no, the nervous I, laugh, yeah. I, I am also like just generally when I go into conversations, I, I'm not a hard seller, right? I'm about building relationships with people and relationships with companies. So that's, I just, I don't try and push solutions onto people. And if it, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like it's, it's business. I, it took me, I I would say it probably took me less time than I expected to be able to build that wall between personal feedback and business feedback. But I would definitely say- Let's get into that. What's the difference? What, What would be an example of personal feedback and business feedback? Well, like if someone doesn't want to work with you, it's- it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on them and their needs and, and what they're willing to spend at the moment and how they feel like you'll be able to help them. It's not them saying your business is shit. It is them saying, this isn't what I need right now. So it's, yeah. And that, that took a couple of years of hard knocks in, in agency side where I, I, took things personally and I had a just generally when I was younger I had a pretty thin skin I would say I took a lot of things personally so as a bit of a defense mechanism I I learned to build those differentiations so yeah that's very similar I think everyone Mm -hmm. goes through that phase and you need to figure out what you're comfortable with uh like on some days my mental health isn't as great so i have less confidence and feedback that is constructive can hit me personally whereas mm. on other days you know it's just i'm goddamn i can do whatever i can send emails to mds even though i'm not supposed to <laughs> stuff, stuff like that Whoops. <laughs> but it all um, comes down to you know you got to experiment and then see is this what you want to do if so Forge ahead. If not, then find a different path. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no set path and what you've demonstrated is that you found your own way. Yeah. And and I think one of the turning points for me in that mindset is realizing that everyone cares more about themselves than they care about you. Everyone is much more self-centered than kind of we give ourselves credit for. Like some weird little like thing that you said at a networking event five years ago, no one else is going to remember. Like they just don't care or they just didn't even notice. Yeah. So how would you apply that back to Amanda 10 years ago 
working agency side back in the US, right? So I worked agency side in the States and I worked agency side in Australia as well. So both. So what would you tell Amanda back then that you know now? What would she need to hear? Mm. People care less about you than you think. (laughs) And what does that mean? It gives a level of freedom to say what needs to be said, right? Because if people don't really care about you, they care about what they can get from you, what you can give them. And I would rather give them the truth in terms of what will actually help their business. And I'm very lucky as well in that I had an educational background in business as well. So I do understand that a lot of the new things, quote unquote, new things that we're talking about in digital marketing have been being done for a hundred or so years, right? Since marketing has been a thing, even longer. I mean, you know, what was it? Schick or one of the razor blade companies effectively created the demand for women to shave different parts of their body because they were only capturing the male market. So they created this whole industry basically to sell more product and like those kinds of things. It's always been around, Um, you know, false doorways. um, All of that has always been a thing. It's just been been converted into a different form for digital. Correct. And and before we started recording, you actually sent me a text message with a whole bunch of notes. And one of them said, essentially what you said, everything old is new again. And I love the next part. The important part of digital marketing isn't digital, it's marketing. Mm. So what does that mean in terms of what is your understanding of what marketing is and what is it supposed to do? I mean, I can say the really cynical thing and say selling people things they don't need. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, But it is, it is effectively that, and it's, it's creating demand for, for a product and for a thing and for a solution to a problem in someone's life and making people aware that whatever product a company is selling is an opportunity. And that's, that's one thing with, with SEO in particular, to a certain extent, we can't create the demand. We can only kind of react to the existing demand, but it is, it is always interesting to hear some people talk about, you know, focusing on the user and doing, you know, uh, focus groups and things like that. Like they're brand new concepts. And it's like, hey guys, no, no, no it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, it may be new to SEO because um, Google has really only kind of started focusing on the user um, because their algorithm has only gotten that advanced in the last five years, six years, seven years since Rank Brain and, and all of that kind of brought in to the algorithm. Um, but now it, it, is, it is interesting. 
It is. It's, it's essentially marketing. Mm. You know, my perspective is it is. You're selling something, but it's not the the features that you're selling. It's the benefits of it. We go back to the OG marketing. Let, let's talk about religion. Let's go right there. Oh. <laughs> We're not selling you a capital or lower G God. We're selling you the benefits of what it can provide. Oh, my God. Yes. Look, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Mm. So, fuck it. I, I'm going straight there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, I, it's I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. So <gasps> We both survived. We both survived. Yes. <laughs> We've our Sorry own Sorry to any of my relatives listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah h- how would they come across? I don't know. But yeah, if you go back to all of the different religions, you know, that's marketing done really well it's through storytelling. It's what are the lifestyle aspirations or the life events that may or may, or may have happened that triggers these. And if you apply it to digital marketing or specifically SEO, it's knowing what the end goal is and then working your way back. Of course, search volume is not going to exist. People can't search for stuff that doesn't exist yet, but you mm. know what you're trying to serve. And and that's the nuance of what a consultant can do. It's like, I'm not going to dump a list from SEMrush, Ahrefs, or anything else because that's inaccurate mm. and it's out of touch already. It's knowing where, you know, that hockey phrase, where the puck is going, you go there. Yeah. And that's essentially it. And it's your skill as a practitioner is to develop that language to get you there and get the buy-in yeah. to move everything there. And you you hit on something with, with religion. I think that's that's really important as a as a newbie or as as an agency, understanding the story that the brand is trying to tell that you're working for is massively important, right? Because I don't know, for example, if you were working for Adidas or, or Nike or, or something and you were like, you guys don't rank for cheap shoes. Like, how- but It has 40,000 monthly searches. Oh my God. How out of touch is that? Like, that's an extreme example, but those kind of things happen all the time. Like, there are avenues- that you don't chase down as a brand or as a company because they don't line up with the story that you're telling. And as an agency partnering or a consultant or a freelancer, understanding that story before you give your recommendations, before you create your strategy is critical. Yes. And the actionable takeaway is, this means that certain lines in your lovely spreadsheet, delete them. Because mm. if that stakeholder sees that line, they'll go, this person or this agency has no understanding. This just reads like a dump. You lose, Maybe it is a you dump. You lose trust ag- immediately, immediately. Any goodwill that you built up, the minute they see something that has already been communicated, doesn't line up with their brand, that, that relationship might as well be over. I want to dig further into, not religion. (laughs) Thank goodness. I've already lost all the listeners here. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never, never. I want to dig in for that person who's working agency side. So this is also speaking to where I was maybe two and a half years ago. Uh, I've completely lost my train of thought, but the listeners who've been tuning in will know this is a regular occurrence. Uh, Ad break. No, there's no ads. (laughs) 
So we were talking about uh, knowing the story and yes. where you were two and a half oh, years yes. ago. Yes, yes. So in an agency, if you're exec, junior, even SEO manager, as long as you're not the agency owner or account manager or the person who does the sales, you rarely have visibility of what happened in the sales process. So whatever was promised may not actually translate into the strategy or vice versa. How have you overcome this yourself? How have I, how did I overcome that agency side? Mm. I mean, I was, I was lucky or unlucky in that from a very kind of beginning point, I was involved in pitches for clients. So I would say if you're a junior, if you're not currently involved in client-facing pitches, try and find a way to get involved in them as they're being prepped agency side. Otherwise, beyond that, I would say, like, just be a bit of a nuisance. Like, ask questions. And I think that's really that's really only kind of how you learn stuff. I mean, probably what one of the big, one of the biggest things that I said to you as I was onboarding you right was ask questions. Everything is different in every department. Everyone has different um, bugbears. Everyone has different things that keep them up at night, things that they worry about, things that they focus on when they're looking to value something. Um, and that goes the same kind of internally. So understanding the account manager that you work with and how they've pitched something and even just asking to see the pitch deck, a lot of times that's, that's an easy kind of avenue. And if you're like, hey, I'm working on this client, can I just see the pitch deck? Can I see what we told them? I think is, is a good place to start. Mm. And this reminds me of one of our largest insurance clients back in the agency side. There was like a whole, like this goes back to me not even understanding who's involved. I mm-hmm. had a point of contact and I assumed he could do all the things. Mm. And 18 months later, we realized nothing had been actioned and it wasn't a reflection of him, but we thought it was. And that has significant impact on that person. That person got made redundant. Yeah. And so when you're not asking questions and you're not asking them in the early stages, then there can be a lot of serious ramifications for not just you, the agency, or the point of contact. It's a big, big ecosystem of stuff that you're not even aware of. And and that's what I've come to realize moving in-house is, oh, now I know why nothing got actioned because we didn't even know there was another person in existence who owned that part of the page or or whatever. And it was two years later after we'd won that contract and we'd been doing what I thought was good work that we realized, oh, shit, we <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's like, and like we hadn't spoken to the right people. That's That's something that like – Sometimes for you, a recommendation is just a line of copy in a document, right? It's like to to flag a, I guess, slight trigger warning for you. Um, it would be okay. We need to we need to migrate our client side rendering to server side rendering. That <laughs> I like how you're just trigger like, oh warning. god, oh god. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but for example, at a lot of enterprise companies, a recommendation like that is a recommendation that would require effectively a reconfiguration of the entire IT department because they've hired however many people that are React, that are Gatsby, that are whatever library that you're using. And there are potentially hundreds of people with that specialty. And to shift that to something that is server-side rendered, right, is actually a big ask. But it's it's a line, it's a single line of recommendation in your technical audit. So you're like, oh, this is this is a straightforward thing. <laughs> no. And the other Why consider- haven't you done it? <laughs> and the, the the whole other thing as well is that sometimes when you're doing technical audits or those kind of foundational analyses, if you haven't had that exposure to in-house or worked with clients and had those close relationships with them for long enough it's hard to recognize when your recommendations might actually have a hard cost to the business, which is a, in some t- instances a very different ask than a soft cost of, I need a week of this developer's time. It's like, this needs $20,000 to implement or something. And that's cheap. And that's cheap, yeah. Like when you go back to your... Uh, example that company may have five ten twelve a hundred employees who are you know experts in a special in a specialty that Mm. translates to millions of dollars yeah and as you said this one line like best practice it makes sense because google says server side is better Mm. They they can handle the other side but you know whatever but that one simple recommendation (laughs) is not even in the realm of possibility. No, not without, and that's, you know, yeah. senior leadership getting involved or executive leadership getting involved yeah. and saying, yeah, we, we are okay to shift our entire yeah. server administration based on this yeah. single recommendation. And, we, and when you don't have someone who has that experience, yeah. then you won't understand why the stakeholder doesn't even mention it to his or her or theirs direct superiors or line manager because it's going to open up a can of worms of why wasn't this done in the first place there's a lot of politics and again from agency side there is some politics in agency but when you're if you want to work with large clients there's a it's a whole different ball game that you need to get exposure to yeah so i for the vast majority of the clients that I work with and work for, if they are my primary point of contact and I'm not integrated into, say, kind of the C-suite level, I will straight up ask them, what can I do to make you look good? How can I help you? How can I make your life easier? Because a lot of times it it's not a question they're ever asked. And it's a bit of a shock to the system to hear that asked so bluntly because a lot of times people are so used to kind of the, the soft questions, the nice questions, or I'm just like, how can I help you look good? Like, how can I help you look baller to your boss? Basically. Because that is a retention 
it gets further buy-in from the people who make the decisions. Mm. And, and, you know, that's kind of what I did back in the agency side was even for a smaller client, I'll just give them my mobile number, call mm. me whenever. And I, I remember we had a, a, a psychologist client with four locations, so they were doing well. Mm. And she would call me and she, I was her psychologist. I would just listen to what struggle she was going in of life. Like I knew my SEO, but we weren't even talking about it. Was that was similar to what you were saying. Mm. How can I make your life easy? And that's what she needed, even yeah. though it was an SEO. And for another very big financial institution in Australia, I was doing other stuff that was not in our remit for the stakeholder because he didn't have time. And since he has, you know, 40 hours to use up, let me be that help. And and that's something that I think really helped him reinforce, hey, this agency, they, he, they've got my back and therefore I'm going to push hard so that we keep them. And that's something that, you know, has worked really well for me. Again, I come from a place of privilege, but <laughs> if this sounds like something that you can do, then give it a go. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, a lot of things could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Pick your battles. And again, you you hit on something uh, really important there about time. He didn't have time, right? I think that is something that I learned agency side, um, but it took a bit of time for me to learn. Even our, or perhaps especially our highest netting client they were time poor all the time and they are not your number. They are not, you are not their number one priority. Like there are five. Shock horror. <laughs> I know, but that changes your frame of reference when you're working with them. Right. So mind you, it's never a great thing when, when a client goes quiet, like, you always want to have some level of communication with your client, but it's a bit like a, a job search to a certain extent. You, you can't expect an immediate response. You, you can't even expect a response in a week. Like you have to, as you go through the relationship and as you're building your, your client relationship, you have to get a gauge for, okay, if I send an email, they'll see it in a fortnight. If I give them a call, they'll call, call me back tomorrow. So like it's learning that cadence of communication and remembering that even if you are billing at your highest rate and this massive financial institution is your biggest client, you are not their number one priority. <laughs> yes. Hard lesson to learn. <laughs> Hard lesson to learn. But I think digital marketing agency side and working as a consultant or a freelancer is, is an ongoing lesson to a certain extent in humility. And mm, I think the yes. industry generally is as well because it changes so quickly. You can, never, you can never assume that you're the smartest person in the room. You can never assume that you know everything. So I always approach conversations with stakeholders or individuals that are involved as subject matter experts from the client with a level of curiosity. So if a developer comes in guns blazing and is like, oh, I, I heard X, Y, and Z from Google, I'll follow that thread a bit 
and genuinely be curious rather than defensive and say, okay, how did you hear that? Where did you hear that? What makes you think that this is this is valuable? Because a lot of times when you pull those threads, you find that that will end up being a future compromise and a future kind of meeting ground and solution in terms of, okay, you come from here, I come from here, and we meet somewhere in the middle. I love that because that essentially is, it's life and mm. it, you know, it folds over. No, that's not the right words. Again, I'm I'm struggling here. <laughs> it's okay. It, maybe it, maybe it, you need more caffeine. <laughs> it it flows on into how you conduct business, and that is really soft skills communication. It's compromising. It's being able to meet somewhere in the middle, even though you have your priorities and because you're a subject matter expertise in your area, you know what needs to be done. Uh, be able to accept the pushback mm. and relay information that is important right now as opposed to here is everything you need to know. It's like it goes back to what you said about cadence of communication. Instead of writing an email that will take them literally 30 minutes to read, which they don't have time for, what is the message that you need to deliver? Does it need to be delivered now? If not, delay that. It's just like, you know, JavaScript. Should you delay something or not? I don't even know how to do that, but I know that concept. Yeah. And and I think as well, it's it's always an interesting balance when you're an agency or freelance or consultant coming in giving advice because like you said, you have your priorities. It's also important to know and to again to ask the questions around what are you working on right now? What what people do you have available? So a good strategy isn't a list of tactics in priority from one to twenty-five million. It is a framework to say, okay, you have people that are free who are writers right now. Therefore, you should focus on these things. And this is the first thing of the content tactics that you should focus on because of these reasons. And the same with technical and the same with everything else. It's it's a framework of how to approach the opportunities that you have based on the people that you have available. Well said. I would applaud you, but then the clapping would be too loud and deafen people. Oh, no. But I am. Air clapping. <laughs> Air clapping. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amanda. It's of uh, Well, A, thank you for onboarding me at my current role. And thank you for sharing your insights of all 10 plus years. Uh, there's a lot of knowledge that you've shared. And depending on where you are as a listener, uh, you are in your professional life, then some things will make sense to you right now. Some things may seem hell crazy, <laughs> but when you get there, you're like, that's what Amanda meant and things will click. And that's, and that's what this podcast hopes to achieve is that when the time, when you're ready for it, you'll have some context as to how to think about what the next steps are. So thank you, Amanda. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning into another episode of, what is this podcast called? Dreading Sundays. Oh, my God. 
my marketing is on point today. <laughs> if if this is your first time tuning in, don't worry. Every other episode is pretty much like this. So please go back and listen from the very beginning where I share tons of stories from a diverse range of people, not always just SEO, but somewhere in marketing and digital so that hopefully you get the motivation and inspiration to help you take the next step in your career, if not today, whenever you are ready. So until the next episode, uh, stay safe, stay curious, and please be kind to others.